Good morning, everyone. Nice to have you all here. Nice to be with you. If you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to turn to Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. Ephesians 6. It'll be up on the screen for you as well. The Apostle Paul writes, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Let's pray. Our Father, this morning, may the things we consider in your word move us to an ever-deepening love for you, dependence upon you, joy in you, obedience to you. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. When I lived in Germany a long time ago, I attended a uh, community fellowship group at my English-speaking church. And one night, our group began studying about uh, Satan and his influence in people's lives. Uh, this topic caused quite an uproar in our study. One guy in particular got really upset. Um, I can't remember his first name, but I think his last name was Osborne, so we'll call him Mr. O. Uh, we began, when we began talking about Satan, uh, Mr. O became very agitated and actually frightened, but frightened in a way that put him on the attack, and he began to adamantly and really angrily reject the idea of an evil personal being called the devil. He would not accept that being aware of such a, be a being could somehow help us in our Christian life. But that's exactly what Paul is talking about. That's what he's addressing in this passage. In the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, we learn about the many gospel blessings that Christians have received. Things like being adopted into God's family as one of his children, having redemption and forgiveness, peace, reconciliation with God and with others. 
knowing God's will, having an inheritance that is eternal life in the joy of God's presence forever. The gift of the Holy Spirit to empower us to live for God and to enjoy him. Faith to believe God for salvation. That, that although we were once dead in our sins, we had been made alive together with Christ. And we are seated with him in the heavenly places. That's mind-blowing to me. We're seated with Jesus in the heavenly places. That would, that's what the word says. That we're saved and kept by grace. We're made citizens of the household of God. These truths are meant to empower us to live for God's glory and to enjoy him forever. And so our purpose in life, I, I just got to tell you, in, in our pre-service prayer meeting, this idea of living for God's purpose, that's what, that's what our people were praying about before. And if you, if you haven't been to one of those prayer times, I, I, I would ask you to consider doing that. It is a huge encouragement. And as the people of God, we want God's blessing in this time. That's what we're praying about. That's one of the things that we prayed about. What is God's purpose for us? It's about denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and being part of God's plan for the world. What is that? It's reversing and undoing the effects of sin in the world and in people's lives. God redeeming people from their sin through faith in the gospel. We are to be first and foremost gospel people. How do we do that? We do that in how we love and treat our spouse. We do that in how we bring up our kids and point them to Jesus. We do that in how we care for one another as church members. We do that as we love and reach out to and respond to co-workers and strangers and, and others who might be without Christ. We do that to show them that Jesus is worth it, that he is really satisfying, that he is really life-giving. We are to be all about knowing Christ and making him known. That is our purpose. That is our mission as believers in Jesus. But Paul wants the believers in Ephesus and us now to understand that we have a real enemy in fulfilling this purpose. An enemy that hates God, hates God's plan, and hates God's people. An enemy who wants to divert us from participating in God's plan. Paul does not want to scare us like Mr. O was. He wants to prepare us for the spiritual realities that we live in. And so Paul says in verse 11, stand against the devil. Verse 13, withstand in the evil day and stand firm. Verse 14, therefore stand. He's talking a lot about standing. What is this standing about? It is standing firm in our purpose in the gospel and standing firm against the attacks of Satan who wants to thwart the gospel. How do we do that? This is our main point for today. In order to stand firm in God's mission for us, we are to be aware of our spiritual battle. We are to be aware of our spiritual armor and we are to persevere in prayer. God wants us to be aware of our spiritual battle, 
our spiritual armor, and to persevere in prayer. So our first main point, be aware of our spiritual battle. Being in a battle, of course, implies an enemy. What is our enemy like? He is not some vague, impersonal evil force that permeates the universe somewhere out there. That's what Mr. O wanted to think. But Satan is a real being. Jesus spoke of him as such. Paul speaks of him as such, and he is the enemy of our souls. He is a strong enemy, and he has schemes, methods, plans, ways to come against God's will in our lives. And not only does he have schemes, he has helpers. Verse 12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Satan has all kinds of helpers. And we, but we also see from this verse that this is not a flesh and blood battle, meaning that it's not merely with humans who oppose us or oppose God. No, it is spiritual in nature. Now, this battle will typically involve people who will frustrate you or oppose you or even persecute you. But the ultimate source behind the struggle is Satan and his demons. And and I just want to make sure that we understand that um, we don't have to look for Satan under every rock, right? We don't want to attribute everything that goes wrong to Satan. If you burn your toast in the morning, it's not because the demon was in the toaster, If you fail your test, it's not because Satan made you fail. It's likely because you you didn't study, so get to work, right? I remember when I first became a Christian and I was getting ready to be baptized and I was all excited about it and I, I hung out my laundry and a bird left his stuff on my laundry. And I'm like, oh, see that's Satan. Satan's doing something. No, a bird pooped on my lawn. Am I allowed to say that? I'm sorry. I'm sorry if I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> right, so we don't want to blame Satan for everything, but we want to be aware of his schemes, right? We must remember one massively important point about Satan. He is a defeated enemy. He is defeated. Christ has won the battle against sin and death and hell for all who repent and believe. Satan can no longer hold our sin against us if we are truly in Jesus. That is his one fatal weapon against us. If we do not come to faith in Jesus, if we do not turn from our sin, we're still in our sin. And therefore, we are still under the condemnation of God. And Satan is right to accuse us of that. But if we are in Jesus... There is no more condemnation. There is no more accusation. In that sense, Satan has been defeated. He can't hold that against us. So though he can't hold it against us, he will keep fighting battles, even though the victory is won. That's why this passage is in here. Now you may ask, why doesn't God just snuff out Satan and his demons? Why do we we have to keep dealing with this? Well, one answer is that Satan's strategies are often a means God uses to strengthen our faith. We see that in the book of Job. We see that is what happened with Job's life. God permitted Satan to afflict Job 
as a way of demonstrating who Job really loved, who Job really trusted. And remember, Satan had to ask for permission for that. Satan is always on a leash. Satan just doesn't have free reign to do whatever he wants. God uses that. He used it in Job's life. He will do it for us. God will test and strengthen us as we resist Satan's temptation and hold fast to faith and obedience. And what happens when he does? We grow to love Christ, to value him over anything that Satan can tempt us with. That resolve to follow Christ deepens within us as we resist Satan. But we also learn in Ephesians chapter 3 where it says this, that it's through the church that the manifold wisdom of God may be known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Don Carson, commentator Don Carson says, as we live out the gospel in God's might and use his armor to stand against Satan, it's like we're declaring over and over to all the spiritual powers that Jesus is victorious, that he is one, and he will ultimately win. And the gospel being lived out in our lives is the evidence for that. That's why, for God's glory and for our real joy, we are to be strengthened in Christ and stand firm against the schemes of Satan. So Christ is victorious and the devil is a defeated foe. And yet, clearly, we are no match on our own for, for Satan. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. Therefore, to try and resist Satan in our own weak, in our own wisdom, in our own scheming would be utter foolishness. And it would be dangerous as well. God himself must be our strength and not our own. And we get that strength by putting on God's armor. Brings us to point number two. Be aware of our spiritual armor. What exactly is this armor? Pastor Milton Vincent says, in one sense, these pieces, these six pieces that we're going to look at in just a minute, they are all synonyms for the gospel itself. The pieces are gospel realities that we are to remember, to pray about, to meditate on, and live out. That's how we put on the gospel armor. Right? They're not physical things. They are spiritual realities. And that's how they become our protection. And how they empower us to stand firm in our gospel mission. So we're going to look at each piece of the armor from this perspective. Now, there's six of them, so you got to hang with me, right? As we go through all six. First of all, the belt of truth. A Roman soldier would use a belt to hold up his outer garments in order that he could move freely and effectively when he was in battle. Paul is saying that because of who Christ is to us as the truth, we are to be people of truth and integrity so that we're able to effectively live out God's purpose for us. If someone is said to be straight as an arrow, what does that mean? It means that they're honest, reliable, and trustworthy, right? 
Are you someone who is straight as an arrow? Or is there a secret, crooked you? Are there areas of life that would you be rightly ashamed of if they were exposed? And I mean acting like one thing, talking in one way, but secretly living another way. I once spoke with a teenage girl who said she had professed to know and love Christ. She grew up in the church. Uh, she even uh, acted like it, but was secretly living another life, thinking that somehow she was fooling God. But God in his mercy exposed her crookedness, and she turned from it, and she turned to a life of truth in Jesus. Before, this secret life of hers weakened her to the schemes of the devil. Now, truth caused her to stand and remain steady. So, friends, if there is a secret you, God's calling you to repent and live in the truth. Not because God is some hard guy. It's because God wants you to know real life, real joy, real satisfaction that can only come in Jesus. But we can't experience that deeply without being people of truth. And you will not be able to stand against the attacks of Satan. That's the first piece belt of truth. Next piece, the breastplate of righteousness. When we turn to Jesus, you see what I'm doing here? You see what I'm doing? I'm, I'm, I'm giving you thoughts. I'm giving you realities that you are to meditate on regarding these pieces. And they all are synonyms for how the gospel is to be expressed in our lives. Number two, the breastplate of righteousness. When we turn to Jesus in true repentance and faith, when we recognize, acknowledge our sin, and we say, I cannot live like this. I know it is an offense to God. We turn from that, and we turn to faith in what Jesus has done for us. Not only does Jesus take our sin and punishment, but he also gives us his righteousness, his right standing with God. And that right standing enables us to live Righteously, You know what happens? When, 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 when we turn to faith in Christ, when we're born again, the Spirit of God enters us, and it's the Holy Spirit, right? So now we desire holy things. We hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's going to be manifested in our lives when we come to faith in Jesus. If Satan can entice you to do wrong, then he keeps you from your gospel purpose. But when you remember what Jesus has done to declare you righteousness and enable you to live righteously, then we look to him. We, 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 we look to him for the grace, the help, the strength we need to live out that righteousness. And then you stand against the temptations of Satan and he retreats. Third, next we come to the readiness of the gospel of peace as our shoes. I love this one. I really love them all, but I am particularly endeared to this one because it was the readiness of the gospel on the feet of a woman named Alice Gordon that God used to deliver me from darkness to light. 
I'm here today because God moved her to walk in gospel shoes, proclaiming it to me so that I would believe it and have forgiveness and peace with God. And my life has never been the same. Those of you who are in Christ, you know what I mean. Again, D.A. Carson says, if we never, if we never bear witness to the gospel, if we're not ready to take deliberate steps to bring people the gospel, how will God's purpose advance? And how will Satan's attacks be held off? It simply will not happen if we're not actually looking to bring the gospel into people's lives. Now, I know that this is a struggle for us. It's a struggle for me. We all feel weak in, in it to some extent. Um, very often, I feel that I know I should do it. I pray about it. I even want to do it. But then I get afraid. I, I, I feel tongue-tied. I'm going to say something stupid. I feel pressure to, to say the right thing. And then I chicken out. Anybody know what I'm talking about? But... When God uses you to preach the gospel or you hear the story of someone else preaching the gospel to bring a sinner, to bring someone to true faith, heaven rejoices, but hell rages. And so the devil will work. He will work overtime to keep you from doing it. So what do we do? How do we come to love and actually put on this piece of armor? You pray. That's gonna, that sounds really simplistic. But God is powerful. You pray and ask God to do in you what you cannot do for yourself. Listen to what John Piper says in this regard. He says, I do not become excited when denominations or churches react to their lack of growth by merely adding a new program. I know that the reason there are so few conversions happening in my church is not because we lack staff or a program. It's because we do not love the lost and yearn for their salvation as we should. And the reason we do not love them as we ought is because such love is a miracle that overcomes our selfish bent. Tell me how you really feel about this, John Piper. It cannot be managed or maneuvered into existence. It is an astonishing miracle. I believe he's right. God has to do something in us. But we don't wait around just waiting for God to do something. Right? We need another miracle. We need a miracle that moves us to actually take steps of faith to reach out to people. And that also is empowered by prayer. Meaning that we, we ask God for help and then we do something trusting God to work love and obedience if, with us, in us. This is the same, the same is true for every other spiritual discipline, right? Uh, going to church. You may not feel like going to church, but what do you do? You, you pray and then you do something. You get dressed, you get in the car and you make your way to church. Why? Because of love for God. And for the joy of experiencing him in worship. Aren't you glad when you come here? We may not always feel like reading God's word, but we pray. And we do something about it. Why? Because of love for God. 
so that we might know and experience him more deeply in the word. We may not always feel like serving others, but we pray and we do something about it because of love for God. And because you know what happens? We grow in Christ-likeness when we do. And isn't Jesus the most glorious and wonderful person there is? Who wouldn't want to be a little bit more like him? But when it comes to sharing the gospel, we don't always pray and do something about it. We do it with all these other disciplines, but we don't always do it with this. And so we miss out. We miss out on speaking for Christ and seeing others come to faith. Now, it might be safer, right, and easier not to do anything about it. But whoever said that the Christian life was safe? Friends, you, find, you will find nothing Nothing in the scripture that exhorts you to safety. If anything, it exhorts you to take risks for Jesus. So that means that this is something we need to pray about regularly. And we need to encourage each other to pray about it in our small groups, with our spouses, in our homes, wherever. Pray that God will do something. And then take steps to see a miracle happen as you reach out to others. Recently, um, a guy I know heard a sermon, uh, not here, it was in another church, heard a sermon about evangelism, about talking to others about Jesus. And um, he felt really convicted. He was like, okay, I I know I'm supposed to do it, but I don't even know many Christians let alone spend time with Christians. So you know what he did? He prayed. You know, he, there was, God was doing something in his heart, and he began to pray that God would give him an opportunity to meet Christ, a non-Christian or, or, or some Christian, non-Christians. So that very next week, I think it was the next week, he went to his community group at his church, and lo and behold, a non-Christian showed up, came with a friend. And so this guy was like, Okay, Lord, there he is. And he went up to him, introduced himself to him, started talking to him, and asked him out for coffee. And when they met for coffee, they were just spending time getting to know each other, and he said, hey, would you be willing to read the Bible with me a little bit? And the guy right away said, yes, I'll, I'll do that. So they decided they would meet every other week. They, they met. They, I think they only read like two verses the first time they met because there was so much conversation about it. And then at the end, the guy said, um, can we do this every week? And my friend said, yeah, sure. So they started meeting every week, reading the Bible together. The, the, my Christian friend was making things clear to him. And after about two months of this, this other young man professed faith in Jesus. Now, I know it doesn't always work that way. I know that there is rejection. I know that there's ridicule. There can even be anger on some people's part. But let's start somewhere. Let's at least pray and encourage one another in that prayer. And then asking God for for boldness and courage to take a step. Asking him to empower you for it. Next, we have the shield of faith that will extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. Now, before we look at the shield, let's first ask, what are these flaming darts? 
I think there, there's many ways, these are many ways the devil looks to move us from our purpose in the gospel. Things like fears, doubts, questions about God's person or his goodness, loneliness, false guilt, disappointments, temptations, failures. It could be anything that saps our joy or distracts us from God's mission. As one pastor named Sam, Storm, Sam Storms suggests that it, it may be something even more surprising and intense. He says, often causing confusion and guilt. Listen to what he says. These darts may be something more like the sudden and unexpected eruptions in our minds of vile images and thoughts that shock and surprise us. Words and pictures that disgust you and violate your God-given sense of decency. They leap into your mind. Things like blasphemous thoughts about Jesus. Revolting images of sexual perversity. Suicidal urges. Compulsive thoughts about doing violent things to friends or family. Unaccountable impulses to revolt, revolt against God, against one's family, against one's church. Subtle insinuation against God's character and goodness. That's a hard list. And it may be difficult to even think about it. But they happen. It happens to me. Listen to what John Newton, you know who John Newton is, right? Wrote the hymn Amazing Grace. He's a godly man. Very influential for the Christian faith in England and around the world. He was once a vile, hard-edged, womanizing, immoral man. He was even a slave trader. And God mercifully rescued him. But even after he was saved for a long time, he knew he needed God's ongoing grace in extinguishing the fiery darts of Satan. Listen to what he says in one of his letters. In defiance of my best judgment and best wishes, I still find something within me, check this out, that cherishes and cleaves to those former evils from which I ought to get up and flee from as I should if a toad or a snake was put in my food or my bed. Oh, how vile the heart must be. You see what he's saying? He's saying sometimes I still, I think about it and I actually still cherish it. Whew. Who wants to admit that? So flaming darts are coming at him in all ways, enticing the sinful nature that is still in him. But Newton doesn't despair, right? This is what he wrote. I embrace as a faithful saying and trustworthy of all acceptance that Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Last week's sermon, right? See what he was doing. Instead of focusing in on those vile and dark thoughts, he takes hold of the word of God. He believes it is true. Darts are extinguished. We need the word. We need to replace the evil thoughts and the, 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 even the cherishing desires. We need to replace them with the truth of God's word. Our biblical counselor, Cappy Huber, uh, will we'll talk about this. Say sometimes you know, when we're worried or anxious or, or given to, to sinful uh, thoughts or actions, we're, we're, we're meditating. We have, we're, we're meditating on certain things. And she says... We have to change the content of our meditation. 
How do we do that? The Word of God. We need to remember, to meditate on, to pray about the Word of God. And I know that this is a struggle, but this is how the shield of faith works. Faith is what? Believing what God says and doing something about it. In his strength, in his power, right? Those fiery darts may come with shocking thoughts moving us to question God or long for illicit pleasures, but we have to hold up the word of God, friends. And we look for him, to him for strength to live it out. And so as I trust what God says and I live it out in his power, I extinguish those darts. This brings us to the helmet of salvation. Since we have received the gospel by faith, we know that we are indeed saved by faith. In biblical times, the head, right? The helmet covers the head, right? The head was considered the source of life. Therefore, how we think with our heads about salvation is crucial. We have to think about things like this. Father, you decreed my salvation and you called me to salvation. You did that. Jesus, you are the one who accomplished my salvation for me. I I didn't do nothing about it at all. You did it all. Holy Spirit, you have applied that salvation and you have sealed me in you. And you'll be faithful. You will be faithful to keep me in it. And so the way we think about salvation protects our heads, our minds like a helmet. That we would be assured of our salvation. We remember that we're no longer, that we, we, we are saved from sin. I am no longer uh, a slave to it. So I can pray again, Father, because my salvation is all of you. Because you've done everything to save me. Let my heart be at peace in what you've done. And let my life reflect what you have done as I turn from sin and turn to righteousness. Reminding ourselves of this, of what we've been saved from and saved to, will encourage you in joy and obedience. You you know, I I, I was going to share this later, but I'm I'm, going to share it now. I try to think about and meditate on these um, pieces of the armor almost every day. Almost every day. Some days it's a little bit less. Some days it's a little bit more. Do you know why? Because I need steadiness in my life. I need to be grounded in gospel truths and realities so that when the darts come, I know what to do with them. I know how to stand against them. And I continue in gospel mission. Next piece of equipment, uh, the sword of the spirit. Verse 17 tells us this is the word of God. Notice it's the spirit's sword, meaning it's the spirit that makes the word affected in my life. So I need to know the word. I need to read the word. I need to hear it in church with other believers. I need to talk about it with other people. I need to pray it. I need to study it. I need to share it. Friends, let's not treat God's word like a good luck charm, right? I'm going to read, I'm going to read my Bible today, and everything's going to go great. How often does that happen for you? 
When, when, When someone has a particular struggle with sin or weakness or whatever it might be, I encourage them to make a plan. Make a plan with God's Word. Uh, Plan to consider, choose particular passages, and meditate on those passages and verses that will address your sin and inform your, your faith. Have a plan. But we cannot just settle for a plan. The plan must always lead to a person. The person, Jesus Christ. God's purpose is for us to know him and make him known with other members of our church and those outside the church. Well, to know God, we must experience him in the word. Jesus is the word made flesh. And he even used the word, right? He used the word when he was tempted by Satan, right? And, and Jesus is not just kind of like by rote coming up with these verses, He was praying with his father in heaven. He was always engaged relationally with his father in heaven. These came from him because of relationship, of love with his father. So these six pieces of armor all together enable us to stand firm against Satan and empower us to live out God's purpose for us. So we are aware of the spiritual battle. We are aware of of our spiritual armor. Lastly, we persevere in prayer. We might be aware of the enemy, the nature of the battle. We understand the pieces of the armor. We might even believe that we've got them all on. But then we fail to stand firm against the devil. Perhaps, perhaps because we have not sought God in prayer to make it effective. Listen to what Pastor James Boyce says. Many Christians can trace the secret of a defeated life to prayerlessness. Along with sharing the gospel, prayer may be one of the greatest struggles in our Christian life. And Satan will be very glad to help keep you from that, to keep you from prayer. Paul uses, in verse 18, the word all four times, uh, emphasizing our great need to pray in our gospel call. A number of years ago, Pastor Kyle made this statement. God is serious about prayer. If we're not serious about prayer, we're not serious about God. That's sobering, isn't it? And perhaps we're not serious about prayer because sometimes we're more focused on our private pleasures than God's gospel purpose. Again, to quote John Piper, he said this about this spiritual battle. Most people do not believe this in their heart that there is a battle for the souls of people. Most people don't believe that. He says we use prayer like a domestic intercom lounging in our chairs and calling upstairs for more comforts. As a result, prayer malfunctions. It doesn't produce the effects, the gospel effects God intends because we're more often, more often concerned with our comforts than our own souls and the souls of others. So here's, here's what we got, friends. Our comforts, the souls of people. Our personal empires, the kingdom of God, which has your heart. 
I, I wrestle with this. I struggle with this. And please know, it, it doesn't mean that you can't pray for legitimate needs and con- legitimate concerns. You have people's health, people's finances, whatever it might be. It doesn't mean you can't pray. You should pray for all that. Even in the Lord's Prayer, right? Jesus tells us, give us this day our daily bread. What does that mean? Give us what we need most. But he tells us to pray for bread, not for dessert. I like dessert. So I struggle with it. But it's something I want to grow in. And my guess is that you keep coming here because you want to grow in it too. I want to grow in it because I need what I get most from it, and that is God himself. I need him. So what do we do to protect ourselves from the domestic intercom approach to prayer? Paul gives us the answer in verse 18. We are to pray in the Spirit. That means in agreement with the Spirit, under the influence of the Spirit, which means under the influence of the Word of God, because it is the Spirit who's given us the Word. And since the Spirit lives to testify Jesus, we are to keep Jesus, check this out, we are to keep Jesus and his concerns for us central in our prayers. And what naturally flows out of this gospel-centered praying? A concern for bold, effective, Spirit-empowered gospel proclamation. You know how I know that? Because in verses 19 and 20, Paul says this, Pray also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Wait a minute. Paul, the great apostle, preaching the gospel wherever he goes, ends up in jail for it. And he's saying, I need help to keep doing it. He knew he needed the Holy Spirit to see the gospel advance and for him to stand firm against the schemes of Satan. And so it is with us. As gospel people, let's remember that although we are in a battle, it is real, it is spiritual, and it can have devastating effects. Although we're in a battle, Christ has won the decisive victory. He calls us to stand firm then in what he calls us to do. Holding back the power of darkness, living out and proclaiming the realities of the gospel. Friends, we have a great hope. We have a great purpose. So by God's grace, let's embrace this purpose. Let's remind one another of this purpose. Let's exhort one another in the purpose. And let's stand together being equipped with God's gospel armor and with God-dependent prayer. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we want to be people who live out these realities, but you know that we are like dust sometimes. We are weak. And we're so easily enamored by the deserts of the world. Help us, we pray, to be mindful of the battle, 
mindful of what you've given us to be in the battle and to persevere with it in prayer. Oh, how we need you. Thank you that you've come to help those who do need you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.